Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the fourth installment in our Karate Kid movie review series. Today we are reviewing the next Karate Kid. This is your co-host, Corbin. I'm Alan. If you haven't heard our previous Karate Kid reviews, we have reviewed the entire trilogy so far with the original cast, Daniel LaRusso and Mr. Miyagi. Those reviews are available right now. And also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us five stars. That really does help us get noticed in the rankings for other people that are just looking for a fun movie review podcast where they can have a good time, a good listen, and engage with the community. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes is a great free way to support us, and it really does help us out. And of course, if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening to the podcast, we are on all major platforms right now. Go ahead and leave us a five-star rating over there as well. Also, we do have all of the timestamps in the description, so if you don't care to hear about any of the background details, plot summary, just want to jump straight into the review, go ahead and check out those timestamps and jump ahead that way. So it appears that uh, good old John G. Alveson didn't come back. Uh, he completed the trilogy. We've got a new director, Christopher Kane, and this movie came out in 94, which uh, that's quite the time gap. Yeah, it's what about five years? Um, yes. Last time it came out in 80, uh, 89, and Next Karate Kid came out in 1984. So, yeah, well, about five years from the last release. Now, to be fair, last time it was the end of a trilogy. So, having uh, a sizable gap between the third film in a franchise to what I, looks to be a restart, a new trilogy for the same franchise. Five years isn't all that bad, and maybe a little bit sooner than I would have expected, but yeah, it's not like it came out like a year after, uh, or a year or two after Karate Kid Part 3. Nevertheless, I'm just curious why it took them five years. I mean, from my recollection, probably, this the trilogy was capped off with Ralph Macchio, and clearly this is, as you were saying, kind of a reboot of the series and definitely this one is probably hoping to spawn a new trilogy but as for cinema in 94 uh, i mean it was an interesting year it was a pretty big year that i would say most people remember now uh pulp fiction forrest gump shawshank redemption you know just little films like that uh right. came out that year you, you may have heard of them i don't know uh, also, The Lion King came out, The Mask, Speed, uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, True Lies, The Crow, The Santa Claus, Legends of the Fall, one of my favorite films of all time, uh, Clear and Present Danger, Star Trek Generations, which was one of the worst movies that I watched last year. We just talked about that and that yep. in our best and worst of 2019. That's up now for you to go listen to. 
So, you know, I would say there was some major, major hits that have stayed the test of time, but otherwise, it was kind of a watery year for cinema. 1984 seems to be a relatively popular year for a lot of uh, great, long-lasting film, like you were just talking about. And then, of course, out comes the next Karate Kid, um, the fourth film in the franchise of a well-liked first film, um, and not so liked uh, second and third films. So it's it's an interesting choice, I guess, to bring back the next Karate Kid in 1994. Maybe they were hoping to, now that the first Karate Kid series had captured the father-son relationship, maybe they were looking to see if they could do that with a father-daughter relationship. Uh, Corbin, do you remember what the um, budget was for the Karate Kid Part 3 last week? Yes, the budget was uh, not available. <laughs> so. Oh, that's right. That's right. I um, mean, part two is $13 million, okay. and this budget, which I'm guessing you're about to say, is very close to that. So, I mean, part three was probably around $10 million. Yeah, yeah this budget for the next Karate Kid was at $12 million, which is, I mean, for 1994... And for a film like this, it's maybe about right. Um, nowadays, yeah. it's pretty low, but um, it's totally is not not too bad for a film of this caliber. Sure, it's it's not. I mean, it's they're not going to give any more money to this movie. Yeah. If you look at what the previous films grossed, uh, yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't make much more sense. So. Yeah, twelve million dollars shows that they've got is just as much confidence in it as part two and probably part three. But in terms of it getting back that money, well, it's a bit of a different story than last time. Um, so budget of twelve million, I had to scrounge to find what the opening weekend numbers were. It looked to me to be about three million opening weekend is what I found. That probably is. Right or or generous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so overall, domestically, 8.7 million. Foreign markets, 7.1 million. For a worldwide total of $15.8 million. Yeah, that's uh, bad. That's very bad, actually. Yeah, and it should also be noted that it was in the theaters for, uh, I'm guessing, mm, two and a half weeks. The numbers that I was looking at only had it it up for two weekends, and I checked Box Office Mojo, and they had it up for three weeks. So it looks maybe somewhere down the middle, two and a half weeks in the theater before it was taken out, because they don't have numbers past the second or third week. (laughs) Yeah, I I couldn't figure it out on Box Office Mojo either. Uh, Box Office Mojo claimed that the movie came out in... I have the movie coming out Friday, September 9th, 1994. That's what I've got too. Box Office Mojo said it came out in August. And um, when you do look on opening weekend, September 9th, it's that and the Flintstones. It's very confusing, but um, I saw it was at number seven. Um, I, I don't know, but you're right. It was only in the theaters for, we could probably say a month at the most, possibly. Right. Um, yeah, this movie did horrible at the box office. Just horrible. Yeah, it did not. It did not do good. It came out, like you just said, it came out at number seven. 
buried by Forrest Gump at number one, which had been already been in for 10 weeks. Oh. Yeah. Benjamin <laughs> Warren Killers at number two, which had already been in for three weeks. Clear and Present Danger at number three, which had already been in for six weeks. Trial by a Jury came out that week at number four. The Mask with uh, Tim Cur- Jim Carrey. The Mask with Jim Carrey uh, had been in for seven weeks at number five. And number six, Milk Money, been in for two weeks. So, yeah, when it came out, it got pretty much just buried by a bunch of other a bunch of other movies did you just combine jim carrey and tim curry's name i did i did <laughs> <laughs> well i don't i have no idea why they released this movie in september which makes me think they probably didn't have a lot of confidence in it um the trilogy was all released in june all released within the same week in june that's right yeah they were all this they were all summer releases the trilogy was yeah yeah those were all summer releases september is um technically the very end of summer i guess but nobody thinks of it that way as far as movie release uh calendars go right tons of huge hits had already been in the theaters for a couple months and they were doing strong at the box office because there really wasn't new to see and nobody was going to see the next karate kid which didn't have ralph macho in it and it had been five years since then and it had been 10 years since the first film. So I don't know, making a fourth movie 10 years later like this, it just didn't really make any sense. And if I'm not mistaken, the scores aren't uh, too strong on this one. Uh, no, no, they're not. Um, IMDb at a 4.4, the lowest, I think it is the lowest score of the whole series. Yes. Um, meta score at a 36. Which is tied for part three. Right. Rotten Tomatoes at a 7% critic score, 24% audience score. Letterboxd at a 2.1 and cinema score at a relatively higher than everything else B+. Yeah. So at the time, critics hated it. Clearly at the time, audiences gave it a B+. They thought it was a better movie than Part 3, which received a B-. I mean, a B plus is a pretty solid for this movie considering um critically it's very hated and you can tell with the imdb rating over time probably those people that gave it a b plus have returned to it and hence it has a truly abysmal 4.4 so as i said last week depending on who you ask this is considered the worst entry in the franchise yeah that rotten tomato score meta score especially letterboxd uh letterboxd i think was right down the middle last week yeah, um, it was 2.5. Yeah, the, this, this is not looking very good for uh, the next Karate Kid. But, Alan, it's 94. You, It's been a while since, you know, the other Karate Kid films. You see, oh, hey, they're making a, another movie. How many of those is there? I don't know what's the next Karate Kid. You see the trailer on TV. Is it going to get you into theaters to see it? Um, I'm going to have to say no. Um, if I had no prior knowledge of the Karate Kid coming into this, uh, I would say, what is this? <laughs> uh, and now seeing it, having the foreknowledge of those other Karate Kid movies, I'm still asking, what is this? <laughs> so no, can't say that this trailer would get me into the theater. Um, it doesn't necessarily look very appetizing i think last week i said that i was even then i wasn't very excited to see part three 
based on its trailer. It's kind of the same deal here, but more so. I'm not really keen, not really looking forward to uh, going to the theater and watching it. Um, so I would say that I probably wouldn't, uh, given if this if I were to see this trailer back in 94. Oh, yeah. Same here. Um, the movie looks cheap. It looks like a slapstick knockoff. And it's so 90s that it hurts. It does try to draw on the original films using stock footage from the other ones, but it looks so goofy. I would definitely not be in the theaters with in 94, and I would fire whoever did the marketing for this film. Um, so I didn't see it back then, and I haven't seen it since. I actually have seen very small bits and pieces on TV, but I, I've never watched it all the way through as far as I can remember until this review. Yeah, same here. I have seen one or two scenes from this. I, it may have on, for all I know, it may have been in like a, uh, a YouTube top 10 list or something like that. And that's how I watched it. Uh, I have spent, I have seen a couple of scenes in this, but I haven't seen all the way through. This would be my first time watching it straight through um, for this review. Well, listeners, if you haven't seen The Next Karate Kid and you don't want the film spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause right now. As of this recording, it is streaming totally free on IMDb TV. So it's a very low barrier of entry. I should say it's actually a no risk barrier of entry. You don't have to risk your money or anything like that. It's yep. free. So anyways, I'm not trying to give too much away, but I'm just saying if you haven't seen the movie and you want to watch it, that's where it's available. So once you have seen the film, come back and click play here and we'll be ready to talk about it. We open with Mr. Miyagi, reprised by Pat Morita, attending to a ceremony honoring Japanese-American soldiers who fought during World War II. Here he meets up with Louisa Pierce, played by Constance Towers, a widow whose husband knew Miyagi. While visiting, Julie, Louisa's granddaughter, played by Hilary Swank, comes home angry. Louisa and Julie yell at each other, causing Julie to storm out. Miyagi offers Louisa an opportunity to switch lives. He'll stay at her house and take care of Julie, while she goes back to his place in California to get some much-needed rest. At school, Julie meets Eric McGowan, played by Chris Conrad, who's a part of the school battalion slash fraternity led by Dugan, uh, played by Michael Ironside, whose practices are very questionable. Ned, played by Michael Cavalieri, Dugan's top student, has a crush on Julie and tries repeatedly to get with her, but she continuously rejects him. Back at home, Julie reveals to Mr. Miyagi that her father taught her karate at a young age. Come to find out, her father was taught by not only then Mr. Miyagi himself during the war. Later, Julie sneaks out to take care of a hawk she hid away on the school's on the school's roof. The Alpha Elite have devised a plan, however, to try and trap her for Ned. Julie escapes, but is caught by the police and is suspended for two weeks. Miyagi decides to teach her karate and uses her suspension to take time to go to a monastery in the middle of nowhere. And to make a long story short, Julie learns karate and becomes friends with the monks there. The pair return and Julie heads back to school just in time for the prom and Eric has her date. However, the Alpha Elite were not happy with Eric after he left the group. Ned bashes in his windows and says, meet me on the docks, which Eric does to end it, as he says. The entire Alpha Elite, Alpha Elite is there along with Dugan. Eric tries to fight, but a five against one is not exactly fair. Luckily, Julie and Miyagi come to save him. Julia and Ned fight and Julie beats him. Dugan steps into the ring, but he is bested by Miyagi. Seeing the defeat of their leader, the remaining members of the Alpha Elite leave Dugan. We see the hawk that Julie and Miyagi had set free earlier, but I didn't mention it in their plot summary because I didn't know where to put it, as <laughs> credits roll. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So um, I, I, I want to be positive right off the bat. I think Julie is a confused, angsty teen. And in some ways, that's realistic. Um, the way Hilary Schwank portrays her as, you know, I think in some ways that's a little more realistic than Daniel. So I liked some of her. I don't think her acting's particularly good, but at least the way she is coming across as this angsty teenager doesn't really know what to do. I think that's a little bit to real life. Yeah, it's kind of hearkening on similar ideas from what the first Credit Kid movie was hearkening on. The first one was dealing with, you know, a big move. The main character had moved across the country and was in a completely unknown place trying to fit in, right? This one, it doesn't take that route. It takes more of... Um, Julie's parents, uh, we were told kind of outright that her parents died in a car crash. Um, and be partially because of this, she's developed somewhat of, uh, of an anger problem. And we do kind of see that at, with the introduction of her character, a, an interesting introduction at that. But we do see that that's like the main crux of the film, um, is her kind of dealing with, um, these kind of random rages that happen and at one scene we do get to hear her say i don't know why i get mad i just do um so yeah it's, it's targeting on some interesting aspects um with mostly with teenage uh anger and how it can be kind of unpredictable now this one is obviously hearkening on her parents uh which not exactly every teen goes through but it is something that is relatable nonetheless well that's where my positives end well, okay, I can give one more before okay. we get into negatives. <laughs> okay. I can pull one more. Okay. There is one scene here um, that I do find to be, uh, well, at least stand out, mm -hmm. to say the least. It's the scene where Miyagi, in, Miyagi and Julie dance and the, I guess it's like their dining room, um, living area kind of place. Mm -hmm. um, towards the end of the film, uh, that I found to be a rather sweet scene. Okay despite everything else. <laughs> um, now, I guess to be prefaced by saying it's not exactly one that I find to be um, amazing or anything, but I do find it, compared to the rest of the movie, I found it to be at least, I was into it more than the rest of the film. But that's where my positives end, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't remember that scene very well. I was pretty much checked out of the movie by that point. <laughs> So, unfortunately, I dozed numerous times and I'd have to wake myself up, go back, see what I missed. Spoiler alert, not much. And I personally found myself wanting to pull out my phone numerous times because I didn't find myself connecting with these characters. I found this whole premise of the alpha elite to be uh, over the top and utterly ridiculous. And... There's just not really much heart to this movie or very much point at all. I know it's called Karate Kid and Julie does learn some karate, but the Alpha Elite don't know karate. The other movies were about karate tournaments or using karate in Japan. It all made sense. This just doesn't make sense. Yeah, the reason to learn karate here, as we mentioned earlier, is to is for Hilary Swank's character, Julie, to kind of more or less express her anger through the use of karate, yeah. right? That is kind of, you know, 
where where the karate element plays into the char- into the main character here. But you are all right. Uh, the ending of the last few movies have always been like either a tournament um, or in the case of the second film, um, they were going to kill the main lead girl. Um, so uh-huh. yeah, it's it's at least it's at least building up to it, right? It, it feels like we spend the whole movie building up to this moment. Um, even if it's not exactly the most satisfying that we've talked about in the past few movies. This one feels weird because at least in those last few, it feels like there's, you know, some sense of progression when it comes to this character learning karate through the various scenes. Um, I've never really felt that here, even though they literally go to a monastery so Julie can learn karate without any other distractions. I feel like there just, I didn't really feel as much progression in the karate aspect that I felt in the last few movies. Well, even just like plot progression doesn't seem to be really working towards anything mm-hmm. uh, significant. The first movie was very clear in laying out Daniel was training for the tournament. And then, of course, he's dealing with his girlfriend problems and whatnot. But this movie just has Julie getting expelled. Uh, she likes this guy that looks like he's 30. They all look like they're 30. Yeah. Yeah, Hilary Swank is not a high school girl in this movie. Well, and these does guys not look like a high school girl. And the guys aren't high school guys either. Yeah. They look so old and their muscle yeah. tone is like way too I I'm they, everybody looks so old. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're 10 years over what they should be. It, it looks ridiculous and the alpha elites are very creepy gang rapey type people uh very uncomfortable actually for a yeah. pg movie especially oh oh yeah <laughs> you know what let's talk about them just for a, a little bit because the first time we meet ned it's a great introductory sequence we see like like their waist <laughs> and like their feet walking down the hall and when we finally do get a clear shot of them they're in really tight black shirts and, and their then, jeans, their pants are tucked in and yep <laughs> everything literally everything and so ned meets up with julie and really is an uncomfortable scene <laughs> seeing yeah. him like try to try to kiss her or whatever it's 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 kind of one of the films i felt with this movie is it just feels in a number of scenes really uncomfortable this one a little bit later when the entire alpha elite are trapping around the school yeah what's, it just, what's the it end was goal just not right uh, i i really did take issue with that as well it's pretty shocking like what first okay first of all why are they waiting for julie at the school mm-hmm. how do they know anything about that second of all when she does pull the fire alarm is the fire and police station tied to fire alarms? Well, yeah, that- probably. That That's probably how they, they operate is when one is pulled, then they are called just automatically. I guess, but it's pretty convenient. The leader of the Alpha Elite is in the police car, which seems to be like he set it up with them. Yeah. Also, yeah. they have the school wired to some kind of police board so they know where break-ins occur. Um, but when the Alpha Elite are chasing her around, they don't. So there's just really not any kind of clear direction or purpose to any of these scenes except to create tension for them to run around and give her these bullies and men to overcome. I do uh, wish that if they're going to make the female protagonist, then she would have female antagonists. I get they're trying to say that women can be just as good as men and can actually be tougher than men. Um, 
It doesn't make any sense though, because these alpha elites, their training just involves them fighting Michael Ironside and he just beats them up on the school grounds and nobody yeah. has any sort of supervision over it. Yeah. Um, and they bungee jump during the dance. Yeah, that's a weird <laughs> one. For that, no reason. I, I still don't under, really understand what their goal is for that. It, it's weird because they ruined the prom. I, I think that was kind of the whole deal is they were just trying to mess around and ruin the prom, right? I, I, I can yes. get behind that, right? But they, they bungee jump from, I guess, the rafters or the ceiling of the gym. Um, everyone gets spooked and runs away. Some guy breaks his leg and Eric tries to help the guy and Ned gets mad at him for that, right? Obviously, the, the egg him on. But looking at it, it's like, what was what was their plan, right? Like, they were going, sure, they were going to disrupt the prom, okay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how did they do that? Without, how did they get up there without anybody noticing? I think there was like a brief, it may, honestly, it could have very well have just been Dugan, you know, handling everything else administratively, like, so all the teachers don't know. I don't know. That's how, just my guess. How do you They don't not, ever explain it. How do you not look up and see people standing up there? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is just a bizarre scene out of left field. It's just really weird. That's actually one of the scenes um, I remember. I remember them every time I caught it on TV. I saw them chasing Julie through the school, and I remember them bungee jumping. And we have the scene um, from part one where the skeleton Cobra Kai's all chase Daniel kind of through the school and Daniel throws the water on that. Right. I like that scene way better. It's much more logical than let's bungee jump. Like we're these paratroopers. Right. <sighs> it, it, flabbergasting is what it is. Um, and as we've just kind of touched on already, there are tone shifts all over the place in this movie. This movie yeah. can't pick a lane on what kind of tone it wants to strike. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, this is a movie where um, I believe inconsistent is a good word for me mm -hmm. to kind of sum it up in yeah. one word if I could. Um, it just feels wildly inconsistent. It is wildly inconsistent. And especially, I would say, so the first act is Julie and Miyagi kind of coming together and Julie starts to get a boyfriend, which those two characters have no chemistry whatsoever. No. I don't know who Eric is. He feels know. like he kind of just came out of nowhere um, and then does so little for the story that I completely forget about him when she goes to the monastery, except for one scene where she calls him. Yeah, he has no point except to just be another, you know, plot hole in the road or maybe not a plot hole, maybe a manhole, I should say. Yeah. Just for Julie to tread over and he's kind of the go between between the alpha elite and her. And he honestly turns in a terrible performance. Also, um, I just don't buy it when she says, can you feed my Falcon? And he says, tell me you like me. I'm like, why would she say that? You just met her yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, but it really does lose itself in the third act when we've got the monks bowling. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That third <laughs> act is that third act is almost whiplash inducing because it goes back and forth from this really sweet moment between Eric and uh and Julie. You yeah. know, they're having their prom and stuff. Mm -hmm. Cut to the monks bowling and embarrassing this guy who thinks he knows how to bowl 
right? For no good reason at all other than, other than just for some comedic relief, which is in the most inappropriate place of the movie. Cut back. When it's all said and done, the bowling segment had nothing to do with anything. It, it, it gained us nothing. It gained the movie nothing. Well, my guess is they also needed to pad out the runtime. This is the shortest in the series at an hour and 47 minutes. Yeah, it is. Well, and then we and then it gets super over the top at the end where they blow Eric's car up at the docks. Yeah, like, uh, what? okay. <laughs> I know. Um, and then Michael Ironside says, like, finish him or whatever or end him. And yeah. they're like, you want us to commit murder? And he's like, yep, that's what I've been training you for is just to kill insignificant people or people that get in your way. Yeah. He says that about Eric and Julie. And they're like, what? That's we didn't really sign up for that. We're like 18 years old. And then they're like, oh, OK, I guess guess we got to kill people. And yeah. I guess we won't go to jail because I guess he's in good with the police. It's just crazy. Yeah, Dugan is ridiculous. He is, and we noted that Kreese was kind of over the top in the previous movies too, right? So mm-hmm. over the top villains is nothing new for this series, but how far they go over the top, I think this is a, a new milestone, which seems to be like they keep increasingly from movie to movie so far, they keep increasingly becoming more over the top as movies go on. Yeah. Um, because Kreese was kind of a maniac in part three, more way more than he was in part one but this is a completely different league where (laughs) as we were just talking about it doesn't make any sense how he is attached to the school in any way without having some kind of pushback right there's i feel like if 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 any of the administration were to know what his practices were when he was training these guys uh he would be kicked out pretty fast he is dugan is so over the top um even for the series it's out of it's out of the series's character almost. Yeah, that's why I just feel like nobody can. I don't know if the director gave them any sort of solid direction, but even characters are just all over the place as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we go from kind of scary scenes where you think the alpha elite are, they might try and gang rape Julie. And then we get Julie babysitting and playing with the kids that are, it's like we just jumped into a fun 80s, 90s comedic family film while she's yeah. chasing him around the house like it's home alone yeah and another scene that goes nowhere as well it it, <laughs> it happens and then we walk away from it well i think it's supposed to be these opening scenes are supposed to show the tension between julie and miyagi and then she kind of comes over to his side because she can do the the tiger jump onto the pizza car and you come to find out Miyagi trained her grandfather because they fought in World War II together. Grandfather taught her father, her father taught her, mm-hmm. and that's their bonding moment. And then she gets suspended, so conveniently suspended, so they can go practice karate together. And it all leads nowhere, and it's all the most easy way for these two characters to come together. I also love that scene when she does jump on the pizza guy's car. The oh. pizza guy's hilarious. He's my favorite character in this whole movie <laughs> because his lines are literally... Oh, hey, are you okay? Sorry, I have to go. My boss is going to be on me about delivering this pizza. Okay, bye. Hope you're fine. And then he exits the scene, Mm -hmm. right? He's my favorite character of this whole movie. It it is pretty funny because he is apologizing profusely just over and over again. Even after once they've gotten the house, you can still hear him yelling out in the street about it. Yeah. (laughs) So I think this movie's attempt at symbolism or touchingness comes in the falcon subplot where julie is nursing this 
bird back to health and then she has to release it and it comes back and she has to release it again. Maybe you found some more meaning in it than I did, but it did not touch me whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't care, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the the bird, the hawk, um, that's another thing where uh, I, I, I wish we didn't spend so much time on it, right? I feel like it's oh, yeah. it ends up being more, especially in the first half, ends up being more of a plot device than anything because it's... Hit, Julie gets caught or gets cornered by the Alpha Elite in the second time, I guess, that she goes to school to feed the bird. The first time she goes, it almost gets caught by the by two policemen, but it escapes. The second time, the Alpha Elite are there. The next time, she is telling Eric, hey, you're going to feed my bird, right? You're going to take care of my bird, right? You're not going to tell me about my bird, right? And that's kind of the leading for them kind of becoming a relationship in a little bit, a little bit of ways. So... I don't understand the bird. Um, I mean, I okay, I understand the bird because it's kind of a reflection of uh, of Julie herself. But right. as to like functionality in the story, um, I mean, it doesn't do much for anybody else other than Julie herself. And even then, it's so weak that I pretty much forget about it. And the uh, Alpha Elite capture the bird. And hold it hostage. Yeah. And this so much of this movie's plot, pacing, sequential ordering just feels like it was just kind of thrown in a blender and just thrown into the editing bay. And then they're like, we got to get this movie out. So just, you know, we got to make this the final cut. And it ends up feeling wildly disjointed because... Um, especially that whole second act where Julie is out in the monastery and all these main characters we set up in the first act are dropped until they come back for the third act. And yeah. I don't know, the, it just doesn't make sense to do that to characters, especially because we're not seeing what they're doing in the meantime, um, which is something the other movies never did. Um, we always got to they may not have had their own point of view scenes, but they were at least somehow weaving in with the other characters and not just dropped all together. Yeah. This monastery scene is also weird because somehow Miyagi knows that there's just a monastery in some random part in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, he never explains it. Yeah. They, they don't explain it at, at all. It kind of gave me some midsummer vibes <laughs> when oh, they got to yikes. the monastery. Then they answered <laughs> the monastery. I was like, this feels like midsummer. <laughs> oh, it is kind of a weird place out of nowhere. We get to watch the monks dance. Um, yeah. And somehow they are, they have all choreographed it ahead of time. So right. they're in sync with it. Once again, pretty weird. Um, what do you think of Mr. Miyagi in this movie? I think he does fine, but I also don't think that um, what he was given to do necessarily adds anything more to his character. They try to incorporate, um, I guess, some kind of a crux into his character development with Julie, but I feel that that does so little for him that uh, his character is relatively stagnant for this whole story. I have to agree with you as well. He does very little in this film. And that's because he's given very little in this film. I'm disappointed because Miyagi has always had solid nuggets of wisdom. Now, they're very straight out there, but this movie is for kids. So right. you kind of have to be a little more pronunciation with it. 
Um, whereas this Mr. Miyagi just doesn't feel like the Miyagi that I've come to know over the past three films. He does seem to be a little more goofy, a little more lighthearted. There's just never really those memorable meaning scenes here between the characters. I never get the connection between Miyagi and Julie like I did with Daniel and Miyagi, unfortunately. Um, and there's pretty much zero connection to the last films. We This is Miyagi coming across the country to stay with Julie, which easily lets them break all ties with the previous trilogy, which makes this movie just seem more of a weird one-off or spin-off than anything. Yeah, they do drop a like really quick line at one point. Um, they reference that Daniel had gone off to college, but that's uh, about it. And there's like a, it's a very it. brief, brief line. And I got to say, ultimately, in the end, I feel like Julie learns nothing about herself, really. She learns to kind of have this inner peace, but I feel like it's never dealt with in any way because her uh, problem stems from her parents dying in a car crash. And I just don't think there's that cathartic moment. She learns to kind of calm down, maybe channel her frustrations and, I don't know, learns to not be a brat, I guess. But it just nothing feels very organic and it doesn't feel like she specifically deals with that trauma. Her character evolution is just written on the page. Julie grows as a character and that's it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. They that element of, you know, the parents dying in a car crash is not rectified in any way. They don't bring it back, really. They no. don't even really show her come to terms with it. Um and even if they had gone down the route of, like, okay, we mentioned in the opening um, that she did have anger issues due to their her parents dying in a car crash, right? Um, but I never really got the sense that it was anything that wasn't out of the ordinary, I guess. Um, because when we first meet her, yeah, the first time we meet her, which is, like I mentioned earlier, a great character introduction to um, have the main character come in and be just instantly mad, right? Mm -hmm. um, almost instantly likable, of course. So it's, it, I was thinking, okay, maybe they'll go somewhere with this. Maybe this will be something that, you know, she's kind of a hothead, a little thing set her off. That's not really the case. It's more of she is, she feels that she's her own person. Um, but that doesn't play into the story at all. The anger portion also doesn't really play into the story at all. Um, it just feels like they're learning karate just to learn karate in a lot of points of this movie. Because it feels like most of these moments, especially when it's an extended time in the monastery, not much is really done to grow our characters. Yeah, she's learning karate to learn peace, to learn to fight off these very buff male bullies that are really terrible and just so she can have some kind of fight in the end and she can do that really ugly tiger kick or whatever it's called. It, it The way it's shot is absolutely horrible. It looks so yeah. fake. Yeah. Um, it looks awful. But yeah, I think I would have appreciated more so if Julie and Eric would have got in a car crash after the dance. Maybe the Alpha Elite runs them off the road. That at least could have harkened back to her parents getting in the car crash and could have given us more of a catalyst, more of an emotional connection to why she's going to fight them. Granted, parents dying in a car crash and then the child getting in a car crash is very cliche, 
but I'm trying to help this movie out because in screenwriting, whatever you bring up as a problem in act one, you got to resolve it in act three. Right. And the crux of Julie's problem is her parents dying in a car crash. And we just don't get those moments, which is pretty shocking. But hey, the, the screenwriter had basically done nothing before. So Right, right. And I can see, uh, now previously in the last movies, there has always been some point to the character's life that they feel they need to rectify, right? So what I mean is uh, Daniel in the first movie felt that he needed to, um, he needed to gain the respect of those who have been bullying him, right? Second movie, Miyagi feels he must honor his, he must honor the land that he grew up on by fighting Sato, finally, at the very end. After pushing him back, he finally does do it, or says he will, but then that never happens. Third movie is kind of going, kind of backpedaling to the first one, you know, fighting for that honor again, but a little bit of a different fashion. This one doesn't, this one feels like karate is there to, uh, again, to solve, not be angry, to use it as a crux for the main character to not be so angry all the time. But I never really felt like it was anything like those last movies were, um, where they were, it was some detail to the character's life, a little bit deeper than, oh, I want to learn karate um, because I, I want to, right? It was a bit more deeper than that. It was on a, a level where it felt like when the ending happened, you know, you felt like the character actually grew a little bit. Even though we didn't necessarily see them as great movies, there was some progression there. There's not really that here, I feel. There is some progression, but I don't feel like, in. I don't know in what way. Because in the previous movies, it's always been about like, an aspect of these characters' lives. Don't really have that here. I don't really see her wanting to gain the respect of the Alpha Elite. I don't really see her wanting to gain the respect of uh, of Eric or Dugan um, or even for herself. I can see it somewhat as being a that kind of a thing where it's a respect of the self, but they don't dive deep into that either. No, they don't. And the lesson that Miyagi usually gives is a very good one. I always go back to part two, never put passion before principle. He just really doesn't bring up much in this movie until uh, the very end when he says, if you must fight, then make sure you win. I gotta say, that doesn't sound like anything Miyagi would have taught Daniel. Um, I don't know. I just don't appreciate the way his character was written. And clearly the writer couldn't think of any kind of good lesson, probably because these characters and situations are so poor. But overall, yeah, it's very disappointing that I would say Pat Morita had to go out on this role as his final performance for Mr. Miyagi. Yeah, it's it's not the role I would have imagined him to go out on. I thought that part three was sufficient enough. Um, yeah, oh yeah. But uh, okay. not necessarily this time around. Uh, as we were just talking about, I don't really see this as a growing moment for his character really in any way. They try, they try to, you know, the new challenge to raise a girl instead of a boy, but uh, that's, about, that's about as far as it goes. There is like a small scene um, with in the monastery with him, but uh, that also goes nowhere and has no explanation. So yeah, Miyagi's character feels, like I mentioned earlier, pretty stagnant in this whole story. Well, Alan, <laughs> what is your rating and recommendation for the next Karate Kid. Uh, the next Karate Kid, <laughs> just kind of, it, it looks like it's, well, I guess I shouldn't say it looks like. To me, it's a story um, that the Karate Kid doesn't really have, a Karate Kid as a series. 
um, doesn't really have any reason to tread down this road. Um, I kind of see what they're going for. Um, I understand that they want to go now f instead of a father-son relationship, they want to go for a father-daughter relationship, but I feel that we're cut short. There isn't enough to the story to make it really worthwhile. There are some, there's some stuff here. Um, I can see them going down the road of learning self-respect, um, more along the lines of doing something, um, for yourself, kind of what we saw before learning, getting the honor, getting the honor or the respect of those around you from the previous movies. But it's not for those around you. It feels like it's more for the self, right? Which is fine, except that they tread so light. It, it's so shallow that I feel that it was more of an afterthought. Um, a lot of the thematic elements of the story do not feel explored in the slightest. What is explored is the characters of the story in terms of how over the top that can get. The alpha elite are ridiculous and make scenes literally uncomfortable to watch because of their kind of, uh, because of their behavior, mostly with Ned, really trying to get with our main lead, Julie. Um, it just makes me feel uncomfortable and I really don't like them. Um, so at the end of the day, I feel that this is a movie where I'm left asking why. Why would they make the next Karate Kid? And I still have yet to answer that question. So for me, this is a two out of 10, uh, not gonna be a recommend for me. There's no good reason to watch this. The next Karate Kid is a truly awful film. The original trilogy examined coming of age, the teenage experience and standing up for yourself all through the framing of important life lessons. This fourth installment thinks it's doing those things, but to no avail. If you wanna have a great nap, then go ahead and throw this on. Otherwise, throw this one in the trash. Thank goodness this soft reboot didn't spawn a new trilogy. The story is ridiculous, humor falls flat, tonal shifts are spasmatic at best, acting is painful to watch, and there's really nothing of value to be learned, and it's simply not enjoyable to watch. Let's pretend this one doesn't exist. The next Karate Kid receives one star out of ten with my strongest of not recommends. Ooh. I calls it how I sees it. I, I can't help it. This is a truly awful film. I'll say this. I, I did mention this earlier. The saving grace for me for not giving it a lower score than a two, um, <laughs> which even it's already a low score, um, <laughs> is that one scene with Miyagi and Julie. I think that's a very nice scene. Hmm. But it cannot save this movie. It is not worth the price for, of admission to watch just that one scene. Uh, and think that that's going to satisfy you for the whole movie. It, it did not for me. It was a nice scene to see, but it doesn't do anything. It's 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 like a, oh, this scuffed up rock has one really shiny spot. Dare I ask, Alan, are you going to pick up or pass on this film? Nah, I'm going to pass. I'm passing all of them. <laughs> uh, I don't think I need to get this one either. There's no re good reason for me to own it, so no, I'm passing. I will pick this one up. Hear me out. I will pick it up because I just want the five film Karate Kid collection. There's a DVD of it. It's pretty cheap for all five movies in one set. So, hey, I, I just want to own all of them and that's why. But even then, I'm going to have to find that set for cheap. I will not pay over a certain price for it. Yeah. Uh, well, my recommendations are East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause. Those are 
much better movies um, and are definitely more of on the male side of things than they have the female side of things. Um, but all that to say, um, I, it, they do remind me of this movie because this one feels like it's more about tea, more of the teenage girl angst. Those are the teenage boy angst, but in a different light and set in the fifties. You know, I've had a pretty hard time coming up for this whole series with other recommendations with these movies. Cause I feel like they're just kind of their own thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you want a movie with Hillary Swank and she has another mentor and it's another physical contact sport, I'm going to recommend Clint Eastwood's best picture of the year, million dollar baby. Ah, yes. I haven't seen where, it, but I heard good things. I saw it once a long time ago. I did get it on Blu-ray from Dollar Tree. So, hey, check out Dollar Tree sometimes. You can get best picture movies there on Blu-ray for a buck. So I'd like to revisit it. I actually own two copies of it now. I do own it on Blu-ray and DVD. Didn't Wasn't trying to do that. Nice. Uh, but I'm going to recommend you see Hilary Swank in Million Dollar Baby. She's had more acting experience. It's Clint Eastwood instead of Pat Morita, and it's about boxing instead of karate. And there's a lot of emotion to that one. There's a reason why it won Best Picture of the Year. So Million Dollar Babies, my recommendation after you don't waste your time watching this movie. <laughs> now, it should be no surprise, especially based on our review and critics and audiences reviews. The franchise went dormant for 16 years. Yeah, I mean, that's about right, given that the last couple of movies have not been doing very well in the box office. I mean, this one lasted maybe three weeks. Uh, we're not even entirely entirely sure how long it lasted in the box office, but it wasn't more than three. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess it's no surprise that it didn't come back for a number of years. I mean, who was really pressing for a Karate Kid reboot anyways? Well, I'll tell you, in 2010, I was 15, you would have been 14. Mm -hmm. I was shocked that they were making a new Karate Kid movie. As you have heard throughout this whole series, this series meant nothing to me throughout my lifetime. And I thought it was really odd that they were bringing back this new Karate Kid. Very different. Um, the kid is now in China, I think. Uh, Jackie Chan's in it, so I'm kind of excited to see him. Yep. Jaden Smith, don't know him from much except his pretty bad performance in M. Night Shyamalan's After Earth. Yep. Um, so, I don't know. <laughs> After these last couple of movies, I can't say I'm terribly excited for next week's movie, especially because it has the unwieldy runtime of two hours and 20 minutes. The, right. long, uh, the longest in the series by far. Depending on who you ask, this is either considered the best entry in the series or second best right it it's, technically has the highest cinema score the mm -hmm. highest meta score second highest rotten tomatoes and second highest imdb score actually right so yeah the scores for it are looking pretty pretty good i mean all things considered of course all things considered Alan and I both have an average score of four out of 10 for the entire series so far. That's about right. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's about right. So far from what I've been gathering, we're Karate we're, Kid is, eh, it's neither here nor there for either of us. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's not looking good. It's very not looking good. But, you know, honestly, I'm hoping that next week we'll turn around and we'll like it. I found all of these movies to be way too long, even though they've all been under two hours, except for the first one. I am so worried about this two hours and 20 minutes. Like, why does it need to be that long? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But anyways, a new cast, a new setting, new everything. This is a completely new, uh, from what I understand, it's not a remake. It's just a complete uh, reboot of the series. Um, All of them have been Columbia Pictures. This one's done by Sony Pictures. So I'm just really curious to see what they're going to bring to the table to the 2010 reboot of The Karate Kid. So yeah, after we record the Karate Kid 2010, I mean, that's that's it for the Karate Kid series. Um, I'm curious to see what our final thoughts are for it. So far, it's not looking too good. Maybe this one will pull it up, but uh, we'll see you next week. After that, though, we have Soldier, which is like a, well, what is it? A, uh, there's a term for it. It's like a sequel, but kind of not really. It's, it's, a, kinda, it's a sidequel. Sidequel, that's it. Yeah, sidequel yeah. to the Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner series. Yeah, so after we finish up the Karate Kid series next week with the fifth and so far final installment, hopefully. Yeah, yeah uh, Soldier came out in 1998. Kurt Russell considered a part of the Blade Runner universe. I didn't know about it until recently, so mm-hmm. we are reviewing that instead of Tenant. Don't worry, we're still going to record and review Tenant. Whenever it's, it comes out. It's supposed to come out September 3rd. Okay, listeners, so by the time you are listening to this episode, Tenant was supposed to come out last Thursday. So maybe you've already seen Tenant by now in theaters. I don't know how many people are going to go, even if it is open. Don't worry, we are going to review it eventually. But just to give you a heads up as why, it might take us a little longer. So um, after Soldier, that will be my final review for quite a while. Um, don't worry, you're still going to have Silver Screen Guide to listen to every week. Alan and some special guests are going to come on to review some movies, albeit without me. I'm actually, um, by the time you were listening to this, um, I'm getting married. So listeners, by the time you were listening to this, I'm not getting married this Saturday, but the next Saturday. That's right, oh. you're getting hitched, and I'll be there. That's right, Alan will be there too, but don't worry. Through the Through the magic of recording ahead of time... Yeah, all of this is going to play out just perfectly. So you'll still be listening to us, even though we'll be at my wedding and I will be out of the country. So I'm going to be gone for a little while. But don't worry, we have some great reviews planned for when I come back. Hopefully Tenet and hopefully the Candyman films, maybe as well. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I just did, I did want to give you a heads up that I have two more reviews left. You have got a little bit more time with me until I got to say adios for a while. That's right. All right. Well, Corbin, thanks for joining me. Sure thing. All right. Well, next week, we'll see you with the final installment of the Karate Kid 2010's Karate Kid. See you then.
Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. We open with Mr. Maria. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. What a way to start. Miyagi offers them, offers, uh, Miyagi offers, Miyagi offers, ju oh my goodness. <laughs> Ned, played by Michael, ooh, Cavalier, okay. Well, okay, I didn't, I didn't come up with any film or TV recommendations, I forgot. I came up with a couple. Oh, I great. have, you can have one of mine if you want. I have two. Okay, what is it? Mine are East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause. <laughs> oh, wow. Those are much better. So if you want to steal one from me, you can. I won't tell anybody. Uh, no, you can have them. You thought of them. All right. <laughs>